guys can grab a seat. I don't know if you've seen this or come across this before. I'm guessing many of you have. Uh, But there's been this thing going on that I've been aware of, and I've seen it kind of once a year for a number of years now. Uh, It usually happens around New Year's. People choose for themselves a word of the year. Have you guys... Have you guys seen this? Like maybe the bloggers you follow or the Instagrammer, Facebook people. Like, you know, you, you, it's the beginning of the year and you talk and you make a list and you think and you talk to your friends. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick a word for this year. It's a word that I hope characterizes, defines, kind of fleshes out what I want my year to be all about. And when people choose a word of the year, obviously, you know, they, they sort of recommend you should choose words like, perseverance or joy or something that's like a, a positive, hopeful thing. I've, I've yet to come across a blogger that's like, laziness, that should be your word of the year this year. <laughs> I would love to suggest that maybe that would be, I would enjoy that to be my word of the year, but it's not. Um, but I was thinking about that as I was getting ready for this sermon, but I kind of want to do a little twist on this word of the year idea, and I want to ask you maybe a different question. Instead of looking towards the year ahead and maybe setting that intention, I hope this next year of my life is is about this certain thing, what would it be like if you looked back over the last year of your life? I'm sorry to make you do this. I really apologize. Nobody wants to look back over the last year of our lives, but if you were to look back over the last year of your life and try to pick a word to describe it, I wonder what words would come to mind. And if you're like me, you might say, Carl, there's no way I could ever pick just one word. I'm far too verbose for that. Okay, okay, fine. What would be three words that you would choose? Look at that. I'm very generous. I went from one all the way up to three words. What are three words that you would choose to describe your life over this past year? I could imagine all sorts of different things that might come to mind. But either way, it's an opportunity for us to pause and say, what is my life really about? What are the things that were central, that were influential? What were, what were the significant aspects of this last year of my life? Think about that for a second. And while you do so, let me try to connect it to where we've been and where we're going Today, we've been in a sermon series called That'll Leave a Mark. It's been a series, and I've invited us to make it a season of character formation. A season when we say we know that God is trying to do something in our lives, so we want to cooperate with him so that God's desires leave a mark on who we are and on how we live. And as I was thinking about that, and as I was trying to take this seriously in my own life, and as I was imagining what that might be like for everybody here who has tried to engage in a season of character formation, I found myself sort of wondering, if we find ourselves being formed into the character of Christ, becoming the person God has designed and desires us to be, how would that impact the three words that characterize our lives? Or let me say it this way. If we were to take this really seriously, this idea that God doesn't want us to just believe in him, but he wants us to follow him. And when we follow him, that means we change the way we live. It changes the choices we make. It changes the directions we go. It changes all sorts of things about our lives. If we were to really follow Christ and be formed into who he wants us to be, in one year from now, if you were to look back, how would this process of character formation shape the three words you might choose 
to characterize your life a year from now? Well, I think Scripture is full of all sorts of answers to that question. Answers to the question of how does God want our lives to be characterized if we are purposefully following Him? If we're purposefully allowing Him to leave a mark on our lives so that it's His mark that we leave also on the lives of others. And I want to dig into that a little more today by looking at some more words written by the Apostle Paul. We've been looking at a lot of words that the Apostle Paul wrote. He was one of the foremost teachers of the early church, the church that came into existence right after Christ lived, died, rose again, and left the earth. And so we look off into the words of Paul because it turns out Paul gave many, many brilliant and significant teachings to people who want to make their life about following Jesus. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians today, some familiar words in chapter 13. If you want to go there in your Bible or if you've got a Bible app or whatever, I'd encourage you to do so. Uh, So this is 1 Corinthians. This is the first letter of Paul's written to the church in the ancient city of Corinth. It turns out Paul might have written many more than just the two letters we have. We have two of them. We call them 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. But there are probably actually three, maybe four letters uh, that we know of, and there, were prob- there quite possibly could have been more. We only have these two that survived, and thank the Lord we do have these two because they're so filled with practical, helpful things. And I think the, these words of Paul um, that we often associate with, you know, you know maybe wedding ceremonies or other uh, times like that, these words of Paul, I think, might help us answer this question of if we're being formed into the character of Christ, how will that shape the three words that, looking back, might describe any season of our life. Let's read now 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains... But do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I want to make three little observations that kind of stood out to me as I was reading and studying uh, this passage, getting ready for the sermon this morning. Three things that I know were probably significant to the first audience that read that, this letter, and I hope are significant to us as well. First thing, as Paul is talking about love, he's talking about all these other um, things going on in the life of the Jesus followers in Corinth. And what strikes me as I think about this letter that Paul is writing to the church is that Paul is referencing things that are clearly established as important to the church in Corinth. If you read through both of Paul's letters... And if you try to put yourself into the mindset of the church in Corinth and the things Paul is saying to them, you see that prophecy, speaking in tongues, faith, these things that Paul names 
are, are parts of the Christian life in Corinth that are really, really important to these people. Paul talks at length in his letters about prophecy and what it means and where it should happen in worship services and how churches should conduct themselves because the Corinthian church felt that that was a critically important part of worship, which is striking to me that what Paul is talking about as something very important, very meaningful, very central to their shared worship is also something that he says without love is nothing. It's worthless. I mean, I don't know, that might be self-evident, right? Because if Paul said, you know, if, if you do nothing but speak mean, hateful words toward other people, but you don't do it without love, then it's a clanging gong. Well, that doesn't really make sense. It's, it's sort of self-evident. Paul is talking about really good or important things. But when I pause and I ask myself, well, what does that mean in my life? What that means is that even this very journey of character formation we're on, something that's really good, something that I think God wants us to do, Or heck, even what we're doing right now, gathering as a body of Christ, singing songs of worship to get our hearts and minds fixed on Christ, praying to God, doing these things, really important things, if I do them without love, then that dramatically changes the significance of them in our lives. Paul is reminding us that everything God wants us to do, even really, really good, important things, We must do them with love. So consider this. We've been in a season of character formation. And I've invited us all to take seriously, not just for these seven, eight weeks, but maybe even going into the summer, might this be a season of character formation in your life? But Paul reminds us that if we're going to do it, we must do it, not just to make ourselves look better, not just on our own strength or power, but we must do it with God, who is love, with us. Second thing, and that leads right into the second thing that I think Paul is doing. The way he writes this, if I do that, but I have not love. If I do this, but I have not love. At first glance, it's just sort of a a basic uh, condition, right? Sort of a if-then. But I dug into the the grammar, which is always super fun to do, and I'm not going to get into the crazy grammar words, but Suffice to say, what Paul is actually doing here is painting a hypothetical situation. He's not just saying, if then. He's trying to get the reader to imagine, if this actually became the situation of your life. What Paul, in a sense, is trying to do is, he's inviting a reader response. He's inviting the reader to say, what is important in your life? What are the parts of your faith? What are the parts of your character formation that you think are really good and really important and really matter? Now imagine for a second, imagine that those things were to happen in your life without love. I mean, take it seriously. Answer that question in your mind right now. What's something in your life that's really important to you in regards to your faith and your worship and your journey of following Christ? And now imagine, what would it be like if you were to do that very thing without any love in your heart, in your life. Paul's kind of inviting us to say, if that happened, what would you do? What would you do if you found yourself trying to follow God, but doing it without love? Or let's be honest, maybe, just maybe, I don't want to put this on you, you know, but it just might be the case that instead of a hypothetical, what would you do? 
we might have to pause and acknowledge that maybe this does in fact happen. Maybe we do things that on the surface look good, but underneath the surface we're doing them for selfish, hurtful, any sort of negative reason. When that happens, what will you do whenever you find yourself pursuing things that might be good, but pursuing them without love present in your life? It's a challenging question, but it leads to what I think is kind of the culmination of this whole passage that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians. See, Paul ends with this idea, but these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And here's what I want to suggest by Paul ending with those three words. I think Paul, with those three words, is describing the results of character formation. Now, yes, of course, obviously, if I'm on a journey of character formation and I say, you know, maybe I need more patience. I couldn't imagine why I would need more patience in my life. I've got so much. But just let's imagine that maybe I say I need a little more patience. And I'm on this journey. Obviously, I hope one of the results of character formation is that I become more patient. I think that's the obvious thing. And yet, if I dig a little deeper, I would also hope that if I purposefully seek to partner with God, to do in my life what God wants to do, I might also more and more at any point or any season of my life be able to look back and say, you know what actually is happening? Not only am I gaining more patience, but maybe I'm also becoming a person who more and more lives my life with love. Let me ask you right now, as we continue as a church body In a world that's always changing, pursuing a God that never changes, as we're as a church body trying to follow Jesus together, take a second and consider in your life, what is the result of your journey of following Jesus? Over this past year, what have been some of the fruit of that journey that you have seen come forth? Well, here's what I would, again, hope to be true, and here's what I think Paul is inviting us to consider as we put more and more of our focus appropriately on the God who is love, making room for that God to be present and at work in our lives, then I think what we're going to find is more and more often, we can look back over the past year, we can look back over the past season, we can look back over whatever time period it is, and we can say, not only has God been making me more patient or more kind, not only has God been giving me a little more perseverance or endurance or whatever it is, but also we might find that any time we pause and look back over our lives, we could say, you know what, if I were to pick three words to define this season of my life, I think I could honestly say, because of God's loving presence with me, I think I could honestly say that maybe those three words are faith, hope, and love. How often is it? I hope, I believe, I bet that it is somewhat often enough that we've seen God's work in our lives frequently enough that we can't say yes because of God's goodness that is present and active, but I also know that we could probably point to seasons or maybe even the present season where we could say, you know what, I would be benefit. It it would be good for me if all the more these became the words that described my life. 
That was a somewhat quick walk through 1 Corinthians 13. But like I said last week, and even at the beginning of the service this morning, I want to spend a little bigger chunk of time diving now into what we always end with, your move. And what we're going to talk about right now is not just how we might respond to these words from Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, but also I want to talk a little bit about the trajectory that we all might set at the beginning of this summer. We're going into a new season of life in many different ways. We're in a new season of life with this long journey of COVID world that we've been living in. We're going into a new season of life, specifically summer, and our schedules and our kids' school calendars and so much about our lives are adjusting to this new season. I said at the beginning of of this sermon series, but I want to say it again. Look back over these last, I guess it's been seven weeks. We've talked about a number of different aspects of character formation. We've invited us to consider what might God be wanting to do in your life? Would you all the more go into the summer and say, God, I'm going to try to pick one. I'm going to try to pick one thing that I think you might be trying to do in my heart. And I want to stay present with that throughout this whole season. If that's tricky, if you're like, I don't know, I'll be honest, Carl, I could probably use formation in all of those areas, then, you know, you can kind of flip it around and just take stock of your life and ask yourself, where do you need transformation? What's the part of your life that when you're honest, it just sort of rises to the surface and you're like, I think this is where I most need God's help to be formed. It might be one of the specific things we've talked about. It might be something completely different. I'm not going to tell you what God is suggesting to you he might want to do. I I, I can't really tell you that, but I am going to tell you that God wants to be with you whatever your answer to that question is. And really the critical starting point is that if we're going to identify where in our lives we need transformation, there's one place we always have to start, and we talk about this all the time. We have to start with honesty. If there's one person you're going to be honest with in your life, I mean, I hope there's more than one person that you're honest with in your life, but if there were only one, I would suggest you make it yourself. So that in the very least, if you're considering, what does God want to do in my life? Where do I need transformation? You answer that question with a pretty brutal honesty with yourself. And whatever that answer is, I really hope. And I know, you know, I've said before, in just a couple weeks, uh, I get to go on my second half sabbatical, a gift you guys have given me. Um, I know that as I go into that summer, seven weeks of my second half sabbatical, I'm taking this question really seriously. As I'm going into a season of extended rest and a break from my normal responsibilities in church, I want this to be a time when the God who is with us does some transforming work in my life. Would you join me on taking that question seriously? Where do I need transformation? Starting by answering it honestly and seeing what God might do in your life. As we've been talking about it um, over and over again, and I'll just say it again, I hope and I'd encourage you to consider making the prayer of examine a regular part of that practice. It's, the prayer of examine is kind of like just going over your day with one of your best friends. Simply looking back, in over, back over your day or maybe even over your whole week and saying, what happened? Where did I see God at work? Where did I see myself ignoring God? Or maybe in this question of transformation, uh, asking questions like, where do I see evidence of the character of Christ breaking through in my life? Or looking back over my day, where do I need transformation? 
I heard this great quote recently. Uh, one of our worship team members, Bob Higgins, sent it to me. Uh, maybe I'll tell the full story later. But the quote was, God often shows up disguised as your life. Meaning sometimes the thing God wants to do in your life will be discovered by simply paying more attention to your life because it is your life that God wants to be present and at work in. Paul ends 1 Corinthians 13 with this little phrase, now these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And I wondered, you know, as I was processing, what does that really mean? Uh, and and I was, as I was processing, well, what would it mean? Let's, let's just kind of go hypothetical again. I, I read the Bible. I study the Bible a lot. That's what I do in, in, you know, in preparation for Sunday mornings. What would it really look like to study the Bible and write a sermon and spend time in God's Word? What would it really look like to do that without love? I mean, on one hand, I, could, I think I could make an argument that simply going to God's word is, an ex, is in itself an expression of God's love in my life. But what would it really look like? And what struck me is, again, the words of scripture that many of us are probably really familiar with. Uh, this time on the words of one of Jesus' other disciples, the apostle John, when he said, God is love. I think to do anything without love is simply to say we're trying to do it 100% on our own. To do something without love is to say, God, you know what? I actually don't need you. I don't need your help. I don't need your strength. I don't need your presence. I don't need your support in, your li- in my life. Anytime we find ourselves going, I can probably do this completely on my own, that just might be the most significant definition of doing something without Love. And in the converse, to do something with love, to do something with God who is love, present and active with us in our life, say, God, I know you're with me, but I want you here, and I'm going to try to cooperate you with you. What we're doing is we're doing something because of God's love that will never perish. If one thing we know about this life is that so much of what we experience and what we live, even our very you know, presence on earth, it's temporary. It's going to pass away. But the love of God is the one thing that will never pass away. Church theologian uh, Karl Barth said it this way. He said, love is the eternal light shining in the present. It therefore needs no change of form. I mean, in a sense, if we can really get what it means for God who is love to be with us every day, if we can really get what it means for that to be the defining thing of our life, we kind of have to worry less and less about things like character formation because love is the thing that powers and makes possible all the rest. The way we capture that as we talk around here in our priority callings, uh, we talk about it as active love. Love isn't just an idea. It's not just a feeling. It's not some sort of just a relationship. Love is a verb. It's something you do. When love is present in our lives, just like Jesus invited us not simply to believe in him, but to follow him, when love is present in our lives, it puts us to work. And so let me invite us all now to consider a way at the end of this um, season of character formation, at the beginning of a new season going into the summer, let me suggest some ways that we might let love be active in our lives so as to set the trajectory for how we're going to make sure everything we do this summer as Jesus followers is done 
in love. Like I said before, the specific invitation is I want to invite you to take the Matthew 25 challenge. Just to unpack that a little, um, the Matthew 25 challenge is something that we're doing in partnership with World Vision. World Vision is an international relief organization, one of the best ones out there, in my opinion, that also has a long-standing and really strong partnership with the Evangelical Covenant Church, specifically with the work that our denomination, the ECC, has been doing for over 50 years in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, a nation who often ranks among the very poorest countries on the planet. And the work that the covenant does is in the northwest region of the Congo, which has historically been one of the poorest regions in one of the poorest countries on the planet. Matthew 25 is the scripture where Jesus says, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. And conversely, which is a bit scary to make the converse, Jesus says, whatever you didn't do for one of the least of these, you didn't do that for me. I want you to take two minutes to watch a short video from World Vision uh, telling a little more about the Matthew 25 challenge. Then the king would say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invited you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Matthew 25 challenge was a transformational moment for my family and I. There's one particular day when the challenge was to sleep on the floor. And I walked by my daughter's room, and she was already there on her sleeping bag reading her Bible. The Matthew 25 challenge was an incredibly spiritual experience for me personally. God was teaching us different things every day, and sharing it with each other was really exciting. Well, when it came to the Water Day challenge, three words come to mind. Caffeine, withdrawal, headaches. Going without coffee all day was a lot harder than I thought. I'd get these headaches, but every time I did, it would remind me of the six kilometer walk that women and children have to do to get unclean water. My first thought was, this'll be easy. I grew up missing meals and sleeping on the floor, but my daughters, not so much. They were challenged to come out of their Wi-Fi life and actually experience what kids around the world experience every single day.
Sorry, live stream, I turned my mic off, my bad. I'm glad you're with us, though. We're so glad. Um, my invitation is, would you take the Matthew 25 challenge? Again, the reason we take the Matthew 25 challenge is not just so that we could be found doing something, but so that there could be something in our lives each day for this week, and hopefully, in some way, it'll continue throughout the summer where we could say, this is how I make sure I am living my life with the love of God present and with me. Uh, here's how it works. Take out your phone. If you want to do it right now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually do it right now. And actually, I'm going to do it on the screen. I think uh, my phone is ready to go on the screen. Hey, look at that. There's my phone. Uh, and you type into the, into the little box up top who you're sending the text message to a phone number, 56170. Did I get that right? 56170. Type that in. And then... Uh, I tried it earlier. It didn't work, so I'm going to try it again. And by earlier, I mean like three weeks ago. And then you type in the letters C, 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 and you send it. And what you're doing is you're saying, yeah, I'm going to do one small thing to help me be reminded of the way that God's love might show up in my life this week. You'll get a text message in response, and what you've signed up for is to get one text message a day, each day for the next six weeks. If you don't want to do it by text, we've got some cards out in the Welcome Center. Uh, there's an email version of this as well. You can go on the website. Um, you can also just grab one of the cards anyway. It tells you what the challenge is for each day. Um, but here's what I hope happens by doing a small, often challenging, but let's be honest, uh, compared to the lives of many kids around the world, this is just one small thing compared to what many people live every day. Um, I want to make sure that I'm living my life with love. Here's the second thing we hope. This week is the Matthew 25 challenge. You'll get a text each day for the next six days. Next week, and you can skip to the next slide, uh, next week is what we're calling Chosen Sunday. I explained this last week, but I want to explain it again. Chosen Sunday is an opportunity to sign up for child sponsorship. With many of the kids whose lives are lived every day with the sorts of things we do for one week in the Matthew Challenge. Um, the, the region, like I said before, is in uh, the area of Gamana, which is the capital of the northwest province of the Congo. It's where that big star is. Uh, but here's the way Chosen Sunday works. Often in child sponsorship Sundays, we go out to the lobby of church, and maybe you've done this before, and there's a big display, right? There's a big display, and there's all these little pictures of kids that you could choose to sponsor. But the reason World Vision calls it uh, Chosen Sunday is because they've kind of flipped the script on this. Instead of going out and finding a picture of a kid, next Sunday, here's the invitation we're going to give you. Will you take a picture of yourself? Grab a selfie, text it or email it to World Vision. We'll have all the instructions. And then they send your picture or the picture of your family or whatever it is to this community in the Congo. And on Chosen Sunday, the child chooses you. We take the power of choice, something that, quite frankly, I think I take for granted all the time. I literally just bought a new planner. You know me, I love my planner. And there was like 15 different choices of colors. And the people making the planner know that they want to give me the choice. I can have whatever color of planner we want. We love it when we get the power of choice. But on Chosen Sunday, the child chooses you, therefore putting the power of choice into the kids' hands. 
What this invitation is, is it's to make a monthly uh, ongoing commitment. The dollar amount is $39 per month to World Vision in support of both that specific child who chooses you, but also the broader community development work that's going on in that whole region of the Congo. And then if you come back the following Sunday, July 13th, you'll get that Sunday to come back and find out what child has chosen you. I hope you take the Matthew 25 challenge. I hope you grab a card on the way out. But let me try to wrap up both this sermon and also this series. Take a minute, and like we said at the beginning, look back over your life. What are three words that you would say currently describe your life? Maybe the last year or whatever time frame you want. What are the three words that you would use to describe your life today? What would it look like if because we're all the more committed to partnering with God with the work he's doing, what would it look like for those, what would it take, what would have to happen for those three words to more and more become faith, hope, and love? And underneath that all, here's the simple invitation. Our mission statement says we are on a shared journey of transformation. We believe that God loves us just how we are, but wants to change us into more of who God made us to be. Where in your life do you need to be transformed? I believe, I think you believe too, that God wants to do that transformation with you. Would you start this week by taking the Matthew 25 challenge? Would you continue through the summer by saying, God, how can I do everything in my life with your presence, with love itself here and with me? And here's what I know. The more and more we make God's presence central to everything we do, we know that God's presence will leave a mark on our lives so that the mark that you leave on the lives of all the people you come in contact with, because we know that we leave a mark on the lives of the people around us, the mark that you leave will more and more be a mark that looks like the love of God demonstrated through Christ for us. I'm going to pray, have the worship team come back up, and we're going to conclude by going into a time of communion. Would you pray with me? God, we know that this work of transformation, um, we don't have to do it alone. We know, God, that you want to do it always with us, working in us, so that your presence in us might all the more flow out through us. Help us to remember daily, God, that it is your love who can and will transform any and every part of our lives. Amen.